Welcome to the SLN Podcast, where your hosts interview top industry influencers and break down the latest trends in sports, fitness, fashion, and innovation. The SLN Podcast is on now. This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth a digital partner to the ambitious, a creative engine launching brands and igniting growth, the unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. I'm Mike Gugat with the Sport Lifestyle Network. In this episode of the SLN Podcast, I speak with Jeff Rosenthal, most recently CEO of Hibbit. Jeff has been a merchant for most all of his professional life. He helped grow Robbie's Sports down in Florida from 12 to 60 locations and would later help Champs grow from 100 plus locations to over 500. Jeff joined Hibbit in 1998, later serving as CEO from 2010 to 2019. We discussed the balancing act of leading a publicly traded company with more than 1,000 locations. Jeff expressed the importance of relationships when building vendor partnerships, his love for product, his perspective on the future of retail. And I was especially appreciative that Jeff was willing to share his personal experience with COVID. Please wear a mask, my friends. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I had having it. So Jeff, uh, you, you decided to, uh, to drive back to Birmingham. Last we talked, you were enjoying the white sands of Destin. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually have a place down in Destin, got a great chance to spend time with my family, uh, did a lot of beaching uh, with my family and a lot of downtime. I have two kids that work in New York City, so they were um, working from a beach house instead of being in an office in New York City. So it was great. It was a great family time. Well, I can I can only imagine how nice that was for them because talking to a lot of other folks, Manhattan is a lot different than it was prior to the start of this year. So I'm sure they were uh, uh, relishing being there with uh, with you. Oh, it was great. It was great. Might not ever have that opportunity again to to be able to spend so much time together. That's wonderful. And it seems like you're you're finding the silver linings in in 2020. 2020 didn't exactly start out the way you had anticipated. After having uh, you know finished up your uh, leadership tenure at, at Hibbit, can you talk a little bit about how 2020 started? Yeah, 2020 uh, started a little bit challenging for me. You know, I came down. I actually got COVID. I got it really bad. Um, I was extremely sick. I uh, I was home sick for about eight days, running 100 to 103 temperature, and then uh, I had to. My wife had to take me to the emergency room where I went under ICU. Um, so I was in the hospital another six or seven days, but uh, um, nothing that you really want to deal with. Um, it's as bad as people say. Um, it probably took me about eight weeks before I really started feeling pretty good. Now I feel great. Um, I actually, during the time, I only weigh 175 pounds, but I lost almost 25 pounds. So it took me a while to get my strength back, but, you know, with my family's help and and uh, just um, perseverance, I can't say the word, perseverance, um, yeah. perseverance uh, we got through it and um, I feel really great right now, I have lots of energy and 
excited just to move on from the beginning of 2020 and look forward to the future. Well, you certainly sound strong. And and any other advice, things you're doing right now is, is uh, you know, exercise, any 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 other advice you might uh, uh, impart? Well, you know, obviously I've been doing a lot of walking, you know, being at the beach for a little while, you know, I was walking four or five miles every day, you know, starting to work out a little bit, which feels good, you know, so, um, you know, really watch what I eat and all that kind of stuff. So really, um, you know, trying to get back to the same routine I had before and, you know, really working on fitness and, and just staying um, involved. Very good. Well, hey, I, I, I don't want to date you. Or I don't want this to come off as dating <laughs> you. But we have some mutual friends and uh, and this will kind of set up, you know, your your career. But uh, you, you started at Robbie's Sports there in Florida. And, and years ago, I guess Gene McCarthy was uh, one of your Nike Eakins. Is that true? Yeah, we I started uh, way back with uh, Robbie's, which uh, maybe a lot of people don't know of, but it really was way ahead of its time. Um, it was a chain out of Florida. I started there when there was 12 stores, and then we grew to around 60, and then uh, Foot Locker bought us, which could, um, also bought another company out of Fort Lauderdale called Champs, and we merged the two companies. I think it was a hundred and something stores. And that was really um, uh, back in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene McCarthy, um, I actually managed a store in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, now that, he, now that, had to be, that had to be tough on a uh, Florida State Seminole, right? I, I hated it. And uh, for one year I was there, um, you know, you know, it. I even told my kids, you can go to any school you want to go to, but you can't be, go to University of Florida. Um, but uh, we were there and uh, my wife and I first got married. That's where we lived. And um, Gene was our Eakin way back then. And, you know, he goes back to, I think, the athletic attic days when that was another chain that was out of Florida. Or I think that's where it started. Yep. No, that's cool. And then uh, one other mutual friend is is, is Michael Pivado, and uh, I, uh, I I got to work alongside Peeve for you know a few years there at Adidas. And uh, uh, you know, tell me about uh, working with Peeve. Yeah, I just knew him really from the Adidas days. You know, being in the running category, and really a big part of my background was in merchandising. So got to see the line, and, and you know, he always had had presented it and and saw it from that light. Well, I'm, I'm I'm sure for the same reason he said he was dubious of salespeople as as a product or a merch- merchandising guy. I'm sure you preferred to work with people like Michael Pivado to really uh, get into the details of knowing what you were going to actually put out on the floor. Oh yeah, well, that's always the most important thing is making sure you get the right products, and uh, you know the customer is always right, but it really starts there, and then how do you how do you make it work? Yeah, yeah. Hey, but before I move on to champs and and what you did there, I I did recently read that uh, uh, Bill Robinson had, had passed away, and I I got to know Bill later when he and Parks were working on Fit to Run. But I would just be curious, you know, what it was like to because I had a very similar retail experience that I shared with you working for Don Lucas and Luke's Locker. But what was it like working with the Robinson family? It was you know it was very entrepreneurial back then. Um, you know um, back then there wasn't a lot of surf shops and other athletics, 
So, you know, from a merchandising standpoint, having the latest and greatest product service, we were way ahead of our times back then. And um, working for Bill and also I worked um, with his brother, Penny Robinson, who also has passed away. Um, And actually, Penny and I were really pretty close. He was another Florida State guy. I was a Florida State guy. Um, He was more the financial guy behind it. And Bill was a little bit more the product guy. But, you know, my background is I always have loved product and figuring out what consumers want. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, you know, fast forward champs, you you spend almost 18 years at at champs. And uh, speaking of product and merchandising, you know, and also by location to the mall and understanding that competitive landscape. Talk a little bit about what it was like, you know, growing that business and, and opening new doors. Or, you know, when, when we merged with the Champs, Robbie's and Champs, um, you know, we're a hundred something store. And then Foot Locker obviously bought us, which, which opened lots of opportunities. And we began to grow across the United States and, you know, just learning you know, the different parts of the country and what's more important in one area than another area, you know, was very um, fun and challenging. Um, But, you know, at the same time, you know, learning, you know, what's the same across the U.S. and what's different. But there are definitely differences in certain brands sometimes are more important in certain parts of the country than than, you know, for example, um, Adidas was always more west coast based and nike was very southeast based and a lot of some of those same things still apply today and uh you know company reebok was very big in mississippi and louisiana and and those type things and even some of those type things even you know many years later still apply so it's really trying to figure out the consumer and what they're looking for but there are a lot of differences, even though it's a broad, you know, not just in the U.S., but internationally, there are lots of differences that you still find. Sure. Well, I think so. So a lot of my background was in that specialty space, which was probably more consistent with the experience you had at Robbie's. And then you go to Champs and you, you know, get bought and acquired by Foot Locker. And then you have these resources behind you to grow. And then you go to Hibbit. And maybe I'm wrong here, but it kind of feels like Hibbit combined your sort of early retail experience and then also the knowledge of, of what can be and, and growing something to something big because the, the Hibbit footprint is different than that of the traditional big box store or, for that matter, the traditional mall store. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, sure. going to Hibbit and then those those things? Yeah, no, took a lot of the learnings, definitely, and, but you know, Hibbit was kind of unique in the time when I first started. And, you know, we went, we used to always go to small towns and and really look, we used to go where Walmart is, which a lot of people say, well, why would you go where Walmart is? Well, in these small towns, Walmart was the mall. And, and you know, we had Nike and Adidas and Reebok and Puma. And really, a lot of times we'd be the only people in those towns to carry it, you know, so you know, everybody says how much they like competition. We tried to stay away from competition. It was a brilliant strategy in, the, in its day, you know, but as as things changed um, through the last so many years with e and other digital means, uh, we had to transform Hibbit to be more modern and, and be able to use some of those technologies. 
Could you talk a little bit about that? Because last time we had talked, you'd, you'd mentioned, I mean, that was a big endeavor for Hibbit. And that's also a change in mindset. And you probably had to bring some folks, you know, to a project like that to, to sort of, you know, go from being that sort of regionalized, you know, store to now, because of the internet, you know, being a global brand. Yeah, you know, it was really a huge transformation. You know, we had a lot of people that have been at Hibbit for many years and really to transform that company from, hey, going to a place where there's no competition. How great is that? And then all of a sudden you have competition everywhere, especially with digital. So, you know, really had to, when I took over as CEO, really had to really um, build the fundamentals of the company to be able to do it right. We were late to the game. So being late to the game is good and bad. Um, but the best of it was, hey, we got to do the latest technologies. We got to do it right from the beginning. And we really um, exceeded expectations, our expectations, the Wall Street's expectations. In the very beginning, they said, you're so late that you won't be able to, to capitalize on it. Well, we capitalized on it day one. And, you know, it will continue to grow for many, many years because we have the best technologies. We we um, did a full omni channel. Every store participated. Um, you know, we have some of the best emailing loyalty programs and all that and bringing it all together, which has really been the success the last couple of years. And, and if we wouldn't have done that, it would have been a very tough business. Well, I think it's 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 interesting when you are presented those opportunities to leapfrog, whether it's leapfrog in technology or, you know, timing. But, you know, you had the foundation of those stores and you mentioned Wall Street expectations. How do you balance the fiduciary responsibilities as a leader of an organization and to have the tenure that you had leading that organization also motivate so many people working for you? Yeah, you know, I think that's always a challenge, especially in today's times, you know, Wall Street always, you're only as good as your report card. You get it every quarter, you know. So it was tough because we had to go through some major investments. We need to update technologies that were 10 and 15 years old and bring it up to date. We had to build a distribution center. We had to up, make sure that all the inventory was live so that we could pick from stores and all those type things. And, you know, some most... A lot of times Wall Street isn't as patient as they need to be or even board of directors or even sometimes employees. But we had a vision. We had a strategy to get there. And the biggest part of our strategy was we needed to be the best at it. So we took we looked at not just our industry, but other industries and took a lot of the best practices from all of them and put it into one website. And and. Um, and our whole digital platform and all those things were so important. At the same time, we brought up our digital, we up, upgraded our loyalty program, how you pay for things, you know, you, you know, something called Klarna, which you can buy now, pay later. So we, we've done that Instagram on, you can buy things off Instagram. There are so many things that we did that leapfrogged us from a small company, um, and Alabama to be able to do that, you know, through across the U.S. was really pretty incredible. And we built a great team. We brought some people in from the outside and we and we also brought people from the inside and combined them. And it worked out great. 
and it takes a lot of hard work and it takes people's dedication. And, you know, I think from, from my standpoint, I've always been a leader to be all inclusive. And um, I think we built a great team and that, that will last for many years to come. We talk a lot about servant leadership these days, and uh, retail is probably one of those places where you have to demonstrate it. You know, it's kind of that over, undercover boss scenario. Did you like being on the floor? Um, I like being on the floor. You know, I didn't necessarily, you know, one thing about me, I don't necessarily need an office. I'm always out there talking to everyone, um, you know, both at the home office and out in the stores. You know, the biggest thing is uh, unless you hear about it, you can't really do anything about it. and it's really important that people feel comfortable speaking to you so that you can fix or enhance whatever issues there may be. Yeah. So, and with that, you're, you're not just, you know, so as a, as a leading an organization like this with, you know, a footprint of, you know, I think over, you know, a thousand stores, you're in the real estate business, but sometimes people don't appreciate that you're also sort of, in the business of subleasing your retail space to these vendors. Can you talk about those, those vendor partnerships and how, you know, you know, the, the best partnerships are, are kind of brought together. Uh, you don't have to be specific about brand, but I'd love to just kind of hear your, your thinking about how you foster the, those best trade partnerships. Yeah. You know, I think the trade partnerships goes a long way and also relationships go a long way, you know, as much as, as people want to talk about the transactions and those type things, I do think the relationships um, matter a lot. Um, you know, working working that, you know, I always took the approach, how can I win 51% of the time and the vendor can win 49% of the time or 50-50? Um, so I always try to, you know, no matter what kind of negotiations or how I spoke with a vendor or how we, we um, tried to move forward, we always try to think of both sides. You know, what's the advantage to me and what's the advantage to them so that, that we could come to a commonality, you know? And I think at the end of the day, it's still, it still comes into respect because both, both companies, the brands and, and the retailer need to make money. And, you know, I think that went a long way on my career. It's just being upfront, honest, and working that relationship all the time and, you know, at the end of the day, we both want to make money. I, it's so true. And I, I uh, the, the 5149 scenario and, and also, you know, so I started in, in sales and marketing and uh, uh, I remember, you know, meeting with a retailer and this was just an independently owned retailer and he took out his lease and he said, just so you understand, your name is not on this. <laughs> right. So the mind, you know, what I'm looking for is somebody that will come in and help me grow my business, you know, so I continue to have. And it, it was just like it really framed things up for me to kind of think like a merchant, even though I was on the vendor side. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the brands are so important, um, you know, especially today. And, you know, I know in a big box, you may have some private label stuff and stuff, but a small specialty store, Hibbit stores were about 5000 square feet. You know, it was really all about the brands. So you want to have the latest, the greatest stuff. And, you know, the brands expect that you display it properly, you um, present it properly, you sell it properly. So those were really important. So that all goes together. 
No, it does for sure. Um, you know, I, I want to kind of come back to your, your, your love of product and I don't want to put you on the spot because you may need to still remain somewhat brand agnostic, but uh, <laughs> maybe in looking back to programs you worked on or sh- products you used personally, what are, what are some of the, the brands and products or moments in our industry that stand out to you? Yeah, you know, probably the the first one that comes to the top of mind, I was a buyer way back when, and uh, it may age myself a little bit, but starter jackets, um, they were parkas. Um, I actually was a buyer way back when those things were hot. It was like the first time that I really understood when you got the right item or it was the right fashion item. You used to think I was a good buyer, but I think it was actually, it was a great product. Um but uh, that was probably the first thing that I knew how much, if you got it right, how much you could sell of something. And the demand was just so big. Now, those items don't come along all the time, but it really taught me how big is big if you got it right. And uh, Starter was probably one of the biggest things that really kind of got my mind going from a product standpoint, just seeing how big, big could be. Um, you know, obviously other, other times, you know, some of the Jordan product that's come out, um, you know, some of the Adidas product that we've had through the NMDs the last couple of years have been phenomenal. Um, the Reebok way back when with the, um, Exofit and, uh, um, I forget the, the other names of the shoes, but they were like workout shoes. You know, mm-hmm. I think, it, um, those things were so big. And even today, some of those shoes are still classics that are still work um, even this many years later. Yeah, it is really interesting also how things, you know, will cycle back. And you mentioned Starter and I think Champion has been uh, champion. Champion is another great yeah, you know, by a guy like Todd Snyder in New York and, and has incorporated that into. And, and I think there was also that period where basketball culture and football culture you know, kind of presented itself where schools that traditionally people wouldn't have looked at as being popular, like Georgetown or other things like you, you couldn't have enough of, of, you know, those products either. And it's interesting on how sport, music, entertainment, all has really transformed the whole business. You know, it's not just the athlete, it's also music and, and other things that can make, make product fashionable again. So somebody else you might know who was a recent guest on our podcast was was Matt Powell from NPD. And uh, and we were talking, you know, kind of as the pandemic had, uh, uh, you know, we were probably, you know, a couple of months into the pandemic. And the thing he brought up was um, sort of the solitary activity such as running and that he had actually seen a positive uptick for a brand like Under Armour, which if you you know read the trades, things haven't been exactly going um, their way. From a merchant's perspective, are there times where you wish vendors would just double down on the thing they're great at and not worry about the other things or try to be like somebody else? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, to me, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, especially from my perspective on merchandise, you know, a lot of times, you know, one vendor will have one thing and then the, the next vendor will have something to just to knock that vendor off. And as a retailer, I want the and I don't need something just to trade dollars. It really doesn't really didn't matter to me what brand 
it was really how can you be different than someone else and not bring bring exactly the same thing and a lot of times brands did not understand that you know they would just copy or not necessarily copy but imitate uh what another brand was doing and uh you know as a retailer we want the and we don't need just to trade dollars between vendors yeah yeah no those are the programs that can help bring customers through the door that you may not have had yeah, you, want new, you want new innovation you want uh something to stand out so that people want to buy it. it it's interesting because we uh we had Gene McCarthy on our podcast and, and one of the things, and he, we're actually building a podcast around Gene cause you know him. He's, he's a, he's a, uh, a great, you know, person to have perspective on all this. But the thing he talked about at Nike and, and specifically Jordan was the, the evaporation versus liquidation. And one of my struggles, I got to be part of the, the launch of boost and we launched it at specialty and we had evaporation. And then all of a sudden we had so much inventory that there was, you know, that the liquidation strategy got us in trouble. Um, you know, when you, when you think about some of those types of, of products, how does a Hibbit participate in a program like that and, and not get too much inventory, but yeah, yeah, I think there's a fine line on that. And I agree with what Gene said on distribution. You need to keep it tight. You want to you want to sell out of a lot of these things to keep it going. You know, and and I guess the, the biggest question is how much is too much to be out in the marketplace? You know, um, you know, from a habit perspective, I think it was always, hey, we'll bring distribution that you normally didn't have. We're not the fifth fifth guy in the mall to have that particular product. So I think it's very, very important. I think, you know, brands today, sometimes, you know, it's easy when things are hot and, and they want to explode it. Well, maybe exploding it for one year might be the right thing. But uh, if you want to be in the business for the long time, it definitely kills you sometimes when you look at these things. And I think, you know, I think Nike has done a pretty good job on, on um, keeping those levers right. You know, you want to sell out, you know, if you don't sell the shoe out in an hour and Adidas shoe out in an hour, then you got too many. You know, it makes the cachet of the brand really hot. And, you know, even like, you know, like a champion, you know, they're, they've grown really fast. Now, is it too fast? You know, I guess that's where you kind of keep looking at sell throughs and those type things to make sure that it's still as hot as it ever was. And, um, you know, I think it's important to to really look at distribution and some companies, you know, they're they're they may be a public company or they may have um, other types of money that they want to grow it as fast as they possibly can. Sounds great. But if you want to be around in the business for the next five, 10 years, maybe that's not the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. So leading up to the pandemic, there had been much talk about a retail apocalypse there. You know, every, everything was coming to an end. Clearly there were corrections happening. Um, and then there was all this banter about experiential retail. And then here we are with, you know, the pandemic and, and various restrictions. I would love just, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, what, what is the future of retail and certainly not expecting you to give away the secret sauce, but, um, you know, where where do you see it going from here? Yeah, I mean, I do think the retail has changed forever. 
but I do think that there's lots of opportunity. I definitely think the digital, the e-commerce part of the business will continue to grow. And it's really about how do you, how do you satisfy the customer? Customer, no matter what, what you think is always right. And then you always got to find the fastest, the quickest, the most efficient way to get product to customers. And I think that will continue. I, I don't see that um, not continuing. I do think that at stores, I still think there's huge opportunity. Not everything's going to go to e-commerce, but I do think the way you present, tell stories in stores, what kind of things that you want to get across, how do you get the right assortments in stores um, for that particular geography, I think will continue to be important. I think you have to continue to invest in technology. Um, because there are always quicker and better ways of, of doing things. And, and today it's more about speed. And it's kind of sad that we had to have a pandemic for people to react to a lot of these type things. This is partly what retail and vendors should be, should have been doing all along. And sometimes when things get tough, then you move faster. And unfortunately, we probably should have been moving faster all along. You know, something like curbside service. Curbside service probably could have, you know, some people have had it. I know the grocery store businesses have had it, but, you know, really shoe stores, I, I don't know of anybody that really had that or um, those are the type of things. Man, if you think about the customer, how can you make it convenient? Curbside service is really pretty easy. You know, the restaurants adapted it pretty quickly and a lot, all the other, a lot of the other retailers have now done it, but why didn't we do it two years ago? And uh, those are the type of things I think that you have to do. So innovation um, and constantly thinking, what is the next next thing to move it forward? Because it's moving fast, no matter if you want to or not, it's moving. Yeah, yeah. No, it's really interesting that you emphasize the storytelling and then you know what's really required between the vendor and the retailer to bring that to life. And then the expectation, that speed or that immediacy to have it in hand and we were at the outdoor retailer show a couple of years ago before it moved to Denver. And the way they had it set up was down in the basement were all these sort of brands that were disrupting the outdoor industry. And upstairs were kind of the stalwarts, right? The North Faces, the Patagonias, the brands that have been doing it forever. And what was really interesting is that all the energy was down in the basement. And everybody was trying to figure out what these folks were doing. And upstairs, everybody was going, how do we get that energy you know, down there, do you, do you, do you see there being an opportunity to, you know, like instead of pre-lines where brands are talking at you and you're trying to give them feedback, but starting to build those stories much earlier in the process together? Yeah, I think it's really good. You know, I do think, you know, a lot of these um, uh, special launches and um, stuff that brands are doing, maybe there's only a small amount of pairs that helps build that story, but I think it helps all retail. Um, I think, um, you know, today it still doesn't, if you get the latest product or something new, that's what people want. And even, even some of the brands that you work with for a long time, like Adidas or a Nike or a Puma or Reebok, you know, the customer still wants to see what's new. You know, is there a great new color or a great new technology or something that's different? Because, you know, besides retro product, people want something new and different. You know, they today's customer doesn't want to be like everybody else. They want something to 
to identify themselves with. Absolutely. I have a uh, uh, someone I'm working with on an entrepreneurial adventure I'm on who uh, sold a company to, uh, to to VF and uh, in in retirement was down in Florida and his wife took up pickleball and he became, you know, one of those <laughs> things where he realized how bored he was in, in retirement that he went and started a line of pickleball shoes. So so my question to you is, is clearly your young fit, you know, this is new to not be working all the time. What's next for you? Well, I definitely have the passion for the business. I love sports. I love retail. I'm a sneaker guy. I love different types of sneakers, you know, have lots of experience. You know, I've been helping some people. Um, I love mentoring ship, um, but I'm looking to, you know, be on board, do some consulting, maybe be a CEO again, but uh, I definitely have the passion. We'll stay in the business. You know, I definitely, uh, love consumer retail figuring out what's next technology all those things are important to me so i have a lot of passion to keep that going excellent well you have an open invitation to be our retail expert and contribute <laughs> in any fashion that you want when it makes sense and uh certainly as things come up we'll uh, we'll be asking you to come back no i appreciate it this was a lot of fun awesome thank you Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it. <laughs>